Happy New Year to all of you. It's good to see you. Um, it's 10 o'clock. Y'all like that better than nine o'clock apparently. You do. I don't, but I'm glad you do. So, welcome. There was a couple of um, Christian brothers who were having a conversation and um, they began talking about the Bible and the things of God. And after a while, one of the brothers looked at the other brother and said, you know, you know what I really believe? I don't think you really know much, that much about the word of God. Said to, his, to the other one, I just don't think you, you know as much as you think you do about the things of God. And he said, in fact, I don't even think you know the Lord's prayer. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 10 bucks if you can recite the Lord's prayer. The guy said, I'll, I'll take that. Paused for a second, said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. His friend laughed at him and then pulled out 10 bucks and said, I didn't know you knew it. <laughs> we're beginning 2024 with prayer as a church. We're, we're uh, this, every Monday night in the month of January, we're having nights of prayer. Last Monday night, we had our first one and I'm telling you, it was outstanding. It was just really powerful and fruitful. And so we'll be having another one tomorrow night at six o'clock between six and seven. I know that there's that little thing happening in the world called the college football world championships. I know that's going on. We're not ignorant to that fact, but we will be here praying. If you're not, we're gonna look down on you. No, I'm just teasing. But we will, it's, and they're powerful. These nights of prayer are powerful. So if you can be here, I encourage you to be here. If not, we have sent out an email um, to everybody on our mailing list. It gives you kind of the template that, that we're using to pray so you can actually pray along at home with us. So we're starting 2024 with prayer and I thought that uh, as long as we're praying, we ought to spend some time, our time here on Sunday mornings doing some instruction and some discipleship and some teaching on the subject of prayer. And so I wanna, I wanna talk to you on the subject of prayer. We're starting a new series called Keys to an Effective Prayer Life. How many of you in here would say, and be honest and say, my prayer life could use a little work? Okay, all right, the rest of you, congratulations. I mean, you just, you're outstanding. But this morning, I wanna, I wanna teach on prayer. And then next week, um, our buddy Josh Cole, um, who's our missionary in New Zealand, um, he's going to be here visiting with us next week. They have a discipleship training school in New Zealand and they train and disciple people and specifically they disciple them in prayer. So while he's here, I've asked him to speak on prayer. So next week, someone better looking and with a cooler accent will be up here teaching on prayer. So you may wanna, wanna be here for that. But we're gonna talk about prayer this morning. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew the sixth chapter, and we'll take our text from Matthew six, and then we'll just kind of go verse by verse, and I wanna um, look at this passage and find some keys that will help us make our prayer life more effective. 
Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5, this is Jesus talking. It says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like them hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, I love how he how he differentiates you from those people. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debtors as, our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Can we pray? Lord, we love you. We love your word. Your word is living and active. Let it be living and active in us today. May it renew our minds. May it be seed planted into the good soil of our hearts. May it grow and produce fruit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Let's just kind of go verse by verse through this text. And I want to give you some of my commentary on what I believe Jesus is saying to us here on the subject of prayer. Beginning in verse five and six, here's, here's kind of, um, this is the JEV version, the Jody's expanded version. So these are my thoughts on, on these two verses. I believe in essence, what Jesus is saying here concerning the topic of prayer is he's saying this, if you don't have a personal, private prayer life, don't think you're accomplishing anything in public prayer. It says, listen, this isn't about standing on stages and on street corners and praying elegant prayers. He says, no, real prayer is we go into our room and we shut the door and we pray in this secret place. Let me give you my first key to an effective prayer life is that prayer is relational communication with God. It's not just communication with God, it's relational communication. Keyword there being relational. He wants a relationship with us. We talk to him out of our relationship with him. But he says, go into the, to your room and close the door. Let me give you a second key to an, an effective prayer life. If you wanna have an effective prayer life, you need to have a time and space designated to pray. In our, in our prayer times on Monday nights, our theme for the month is consecration. To consecrate means to set something apart as holy. As believers, we need to have a segment of time that we set aside every day as time for prayer. How many, what, what, how much time should that be? It's gonna be different from every one of, for every one of us. But we need to set aside a time to pray. There's nothing sexy about that, but if you're gonna have an effective prayer life, you're gonna have to set aside some time. 
Prayer is not something that's going to happen to you. You're gonna have to do it intentionally. You're gonna have to designate some time and, and our prayer time, this is so countercultural to 2024 America. Our prayer time is not a time where we multitask. See how he says, go in the room, shut the door. What is that doing? It's saying, I'm cutting out the distractions. I, I, I want to be careful with this because I'm not here to condemn anybody. But a lot of people say, you know, my prayer time is when I'm driving. Listen, please drive, please focus on your driving more than your praying when you're doing that. Let that be the main focus. That was, that was funny. Just turn to your neighbor and say, that guy's funny. I mean, he's just got a great sense of humor. All right. And, and so I'm not saying praying while you're driving is bad, but, but if all we do is we give a little bit of a time to God, but it's in the middle of all the distractions, we never get the full effectiveness of our prayer life. And so if we as, as believers who are, who are being discipled, we're growing, we're maturing, if you want an effective prayer life, we're gonna have to learn the discipline of setting aside time that we spend before the Lord. So that is verse five and six. And then in verse seven, he says that we ought to not just pray with vain repetitions. Now, if you come from a more traditional church background. This is something you may have actually been taught. You've been taught prayers. And I'm not here to condemn anybody. Just tell your neighbor, Jody loves you so much. I'm not here to condemn anybody, but many of us, especially if we've come from real traditional church backgrounds, we learn prayers that are to be recited. Let me just say this. I don't think there's anything more empty in prayer than just reciting some prayer that you've learned somewhere. We just pray, it's, it's time to pray. So our Father who art in heaven, we just recite that prayer. That's not what God has called us to do. That's not a vibrant, effective prayer life. Now I lay me down to sleep. God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for this food. That was plenty funny too. Right? And again, I'm not making fun of it because many of you were taught that away. But I'm telling you, if that's, if that's the only thing that you have to offer in the way of prayer, you're missing something. That's not relational communication with God. Now, so what do I do, Jody? I'm break out. Start a prayer a different way. Start, and by God, please talk to God in your Southwest Louisiana accent. Come on, he knows you talk that way. He does not expect King James English, right? Just talk to him like you would talk to anybody else. And so this idea, it shouldn't just be vain repetition, right? We wanna to get to a place where we're having relational communication between me and my God. I'm not just reciting. Everybody okay? Okay, if you are, well, I'm gonna push it a little further, ready? And I just wanna, again, just be very careful because I'm not condemning anybody. But please listen to me. We, play, we pray to God. We don't pray to anybody else. God. We don't pray to Mary using reciting prayers. It's just not, that, that is not scriptural. We pray to God through the name of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He's the only way. So I pray to God in the name of Jesus. That's why we end our prayers with in Jesus' name because I'm praying through the way 
that Jesus has made in his redemptive work. So our prayers ought to not just be vain repetitions. Verse eight says this, it tells us that God already knows what we need before we even start praying. Some of you say, well, great, why? Why pray then? If he already knows what we need, right? Well, let me just tell you something. God knowing and God acting are two different things. Our prayer time is not a time where we help God discover some new information about us. He already knows it. He knows what we need to talk about. He's just interested in knowing whether we want to talk to him about it. So there are things that God, even though he knows this issue exists, he doesn't act on it until you and I begin to engage him in relational communication. And we, in, we in, in, in invite him into our lives, invite him into these situations. He knows what's happening. He's looking for an invitation to get involved. And another thing, God is not just interested in meeting your needs. He's interested in knowing you and you knowing him. He wants to have a conversation with you about it. Now we get to verse nine and in verse nine, it's kind of the beginning, the intro into what we call the Lord's Prayer. If you look in Luke, the 11th chapter, you'll find that, that the disciples had asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Now think with me, use your imagination for a second. These disciples had walked around with Jesus and how many of you think after walking with Jesus and, and seeing how he functions in this world, they picked up on the fact that he was a little different. He operated on a level that no one else had ever operated on that they had seen. And so they are seeing Jesus operate at a whole different level and I believe that was what birthed the question, teach us to pray, because they picked up on the fact that the reason Jesus operates at the level he operates is because of the connection he has with his heavenly father. And they picked up on, I want to operate like you do, Jesus. And the key to your success is you're connected to God. And part of your connect, that connection with God is due to your prayer life. So therefore, teach us, Jesus, to pray like you pray because I want the connection you have with God. So they go to him and say, you, you, you gotta teach us this. And so Jesus, beginning in verse nine, teaches them what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is kind of ridiculous because this, the better title for this would be the Disciples' Prayer. Because actually this is a prayer that Jesus doesn't even pray. You say, Jody, why wouldn't he pray that? Because in this prayer, it says, forgive us our trespasses and Jesus doesn't need to be forgiven for any trespasses. This isn't a prayer for Jesus, this is a prayer for us. And so he says, pray in this way. He, he lays out not the exact words that we are to use when we pray, he lays out a format by which we, we should pray. There's a format to this. It's not about reciting the exact words. It's about, it's about the principles and, and the effectiveness of the way this prayer looks. And so I wanna dive into this this morning a little bit. Now the Lord's Prayer, if you, you look at it, it's kinda in, in three different parts. It begins, the beginning 
of the prayer is, is pointed toward God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Everybody see that? It's kind of, it begins with let's, let's focus on God and then it moves to us. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses. And then it wraps back up with God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So you see the little formula? God, us, God. There's a key for you, church. Two-thirds God, one-third us. Most of us, if we were to look at our prayer life that way, it'd be like nine-tenths us, one-tenth God. In fact, the only time we talked about God is when we address him at the beginning. God, comma, me, 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 me. And at the end, oh, thank you. All right, you see that? But maybe this is a key is that I'm not just there to get my issues dealt with or my problems solved, I wanna know you. And so a, a, a good way to package our prayers is emphasis on God. Yes, make our requests be made known unto him. But at the end, even, it's just that God sandwich, right? It's God on both sides, it's just us sandwiched in the middle. But he begins to teach them in verse nine and I wanna look at verse nine and kind of go phrase by phrase with you and unpack some stuff and we won't get beyond verse nine because we wanna eat lunch at some point. He begins describing this prayer. He says, okay, here's how you pray. Begin with this. This is the beginning phrase. Our Father. And I want us to focus on that first word for a minute. Our Father. Here's the interpretation. You ready? You are not an only child. He could have said to a single person there, when you pray, start with my father. But he didn't say my father, he said our father. What is he communicating? He's communicating that it's more than just me and my father. It's the family of God. It's one father, many siblings. Like it or not, you, if you're a believer, you are born into the family of God. And some of us need to quit acting like we're an only child. In other words, part of, part of this, the way God designed it is is that his body functions as a family. It functions as, as a family. And you know, if you go to praying about something and asking God for something, you know what you'll find? Is that often the thing you're asking God for, the answer will be found through the family of God. Oh Lord, I just feel unloved. Give me some love. And so he sends your brother in the Christ to come love you or your sister in Christ. Oh Lord, uh, I need some provision. You know, the passage in Luke chapter six where it says, give and it shall be given, press, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall, what happen? Men give unto your bosom. The answer to your prayer may be in the person next to you. 
So quit estranging yourself from the body of Christ. Join in, understand that these people in this room and around this globe, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us are lone ranger Christians. We don't wanna engage with our siblings or with the family of God. We want this little thing where it's just me and God and I'm not gonna engage here. Listen, church, you may be missing the answers to some of your prayers because you are not in relationship with the body of Christ around you. This is a family thing. Look at all the one another's in scripture. Says to us as the church, we're to love one another. We're to care for one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to support one another. We're to spur one another on for good, uh, to good works. All the one another's. Here's the bottom line, church. Listen, engage with the body of Christ. Every person ought to be a part of a local church and not just attending, but in there, part of the family. Don't shout me down now. You're so excited, I can tell. You know, this past week, we had someone in our church who in their family, they had a very serious uh, medical condition going on. This person in our church, what did they do? They picked up the phone. They didn't call the state government. They called their brothers and sisters. And, and their brothers and sisters began praying and their brothers and sisters began standing with them. And then a couple days later, this person called me back and said, Jody, you wouldn't believe how well the family of God has prayed for us and supported us in this time. He actually said, congratulations for having such a church that they would, the church would rally around us in this way. We feel so loved, so prayed for, so encouraged. Thank you for this. That's the way the body ought to operate. And some of you are sitting here today and you're going, well, you know, a sickness happened in my family and nobody came. Well, it's because we don't know who you are or where you are or how to get in touch with you. Come on, just pull your feet up under the chair just a little bit. Just turn to your neighbor and say, he really does love you. <laughs> Our father, I'm not a single, I'm not a, a, a single child. He says, not only is, is it our father, it's the emphasis on father. And this is so important to me, church, please, you have to hear this. Is that God wants to make sure that we understand when we approach him as a born again believer, we come to him as father. Father is so important. Some of us, all we've ever, when we think of God, we think of judge. And so when I go before him, I'm, I'm going, it's like going before a judge and, and I've got to say it all right and it's all got to look just right. And we, our paradigm is this is a judge that I'm going in front of and, and, and I need something from him. So maybe if I, if I hold my mouth just right and pray just long enough and, and if I jump through all the hoops, maybe, maybe he just might answer your prayer. Church, listen to me. He is not your judge, he's your father. Now let me ask you a couple questions. Is God a judge? Answer please. Yeah, let's say it, you ready? Is God a judge? Is there a standard? Is there righteousness and evil? There is all that stuff, right? I'm not saying God never judges. There's certainly, he is a judge. And then you and I, are you and I someone that deserves judgment? Give me an answer. Yes. yes. One more time. Are, are you and I someone that deserves judgment? Yes. 
Yes, so there's a judge and then there's someone who deserves judgment. There has to be justice, there has to be judgment. But what we miss, church, so often, even those of us who are born again, what we miss is the fact that yes, you and I deserve judgment, but 2,000 years ago, the sin that was on us was put on Jesus and the judgment of God was poured out on our sin on that cross. The judgment of God has been delivered. It just doesn't land on us, it landed on Jesus. So when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, the judgment for our sin is upon him. So therefore, I don't need to pursue the judgment relationship with God. He's saying here we ought to pursue the father relationship with God. Through Jesus, you and I can approach the father in the same way that Jesus approached the father. Scripture says we can come boldly into his throne. Why is that? It's not because of my works. It's not because anything I've earned. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I go to church. It's not because I do these things. It's because of the complete and total and finished redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. We have access to our father, but so many of us, when we go to him in prayer, we're just crawling in. And maybe if I beg hard enough, or maybe if I I pray on my knees, and, and maybe if I whatever, listen to me, church. I love humility. I love getting on my knees before the Lord. I love honoring the fact that there's no good thing in me. But we need to understand, though there's no good thing in me, there is good stuff in Jesus. And my position is I am hidden in Christ. And so I can come boldly into the throne, the throne and talk to my father. Some of us don't, we miss that because we don't see God as a father. We see him as a judge. Some of us, we struggle with this because we've spent our time on earth getting our view of father from our earthly father. And we look at earthly father. And there's people in this room today who you didn't have a father present. There are people in this room today who maybe your father was there, but he may well not have been because he was checked out. You're you're sitting in here today, you may have had a, a dysfunctional, broken, abusive, damaging father. And when we look first to earthly father and get our picture of fatherhood from earthly father, this thing can get all distorted. So what do we need to do? Listen, if if that's your situation and you came from a less than ideal father situation, that is real. I understand it. I'm not making light of it. But what we have to do is we have to take our eyes off of earthly father, lift our eyes to heavenly father and begin to know him, to understand who he is, what his nature is, what his character is, and see what true fatherhood looks like, not by earth father, but by heavenly father. We're gonna have to get our eyes up. And when we do this, men, if you're, if you're a father in the house, we learn fatherhood by looking at heavenly father. How, I, how am I to father? Well, I look, at, I look at heavenly father to figure out how I'm supposed to father. And you know, a couple of things about the fatherhood of God is that, you know, it's one thing to, to have the title of father, it's a whole nother thing to operate in the position of, of, of father. 
And when we look at God, we see him operating in the, in the position of father. Here's what I mean. A father, according to scripture, a father's post is a father is responsible for his family. A father is responsible for the raising of the children, especially in spiritual matters. According to scripture, it's the father's job to train the children in the things of God. Now, the mother's job is to come alongside. Remember, Eve was an help that was meat for Adam. Everybody gets that mixed up. They're like, he gave him a help meat. Well, help is the noun, meat is an adjective. It's a, a help that is fit or that is suitable or that is qualified to, to help. And so the job is men, it's our responsibility to train our children. Then God has given us this perfect helper. If you're smart, you'll just lean over to it right now and say, you are the perfect helper. You're beautiful, you're talented. I'm trying to help you men. She comes alongside and fills in the gaps, but it's, it's dad's, it's father's responsibility. Oh, come on church, this is such a blessing to me when I think about it, because how many of you have spent your life saying, you know, if I could just will my way into doing right, and if I could just clean myself up, and if I could just make myself, you know, a, a better Christian. How many of you know this? Listen, according to scripture, you are not even responsible. God is responsible. God takes the role of father, and he is responsible for your development. He's the author, he's the finisher. He's the one who began the work, he's gonna finish it. God is a better father than you. And if fathers are supposed to take responsibility for their children, guess what? Your father is looking over for you, over you. And that's why David wrote, if I run to the ends of the earth, my father's going to come get me because he's taking responsibility for who I am. Come on. That's a blessing. God never gives up on it. But fathers, if we're not careful, we don't take responsibility. We we, we neglect those responsibilities. And in fact, it, if you were Satan, if, you know, knowing that, that the father role is so powerful, if you were Satan, you know what you would do? You'd get dad out of the house. And if you can't get him out of the house, get him distracted. And if you can't get him distracted, get him bound up in pornography or, or some kind of issue. Because if I can, dad's, dad's part of the key to this thing. And if I can get dad all off whack, then guess what? It's gonna roll an extra burden on mom that, that she is not equipped to do. It's gonna roll that on her and it's gonna mess the kids up. It was a brilliant plan of Satan to mess up the family. But I'm telling you, I'm, just, I'm declaring here, right here, right now today, that we are not gonna have any more messed up families, that God is raising up a generation of godly men who will stand up and take responsibility for their families. The covenant was passed from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob. The, the covenant moved from generation to generation through fatherhood. God is calling us fathers to a new level. Men, let's begin with our prayer life. If you're not a man of prayer, let's become men of prayer. I'm giving you keys on effectiveness. Our father, so we have to approach him the idea that, that he's our father. He's not some entity out there in the cosmos that we can't relate to. When we pray, you know, the Bible tells us we can actually use the term Abba Father. You know what that means in modern day terms? It was like saying, hey dad. That's what that term means. 
This week, I needed something for my dad. I called him. When he answered, I didn't say, my father, who I on Houston River Road, the one who gave me life and the one who, and he answered, I'm like, hey, dad, come on, man. Come on, church. Hey, dad. Where's kids? Where's kids? You know, it's interesting. If you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, you'll find that every time he prayed with one exception, every time he prayed, he talked to God as father. It was father, father, father. You know, the only time he didn't use the word father was that one prayer he prayed at the very end. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was the difference? The difference was at that moment on the cross, my sin and your sin was upon Jesus. And the sin that separated you and I was put on Jesus and there was separation between him and his father right now. So at that moment, he didn't have that connection where he said, Father, so he said, God. But the beautiful thing is, the beautiful thing is because he did that, you and I never have to say God. We can say Father. You see that? Isn't that beautiful? That's what Jesus has done for us. He's our Father and we can talk to him in that way. I gotta go quick. Y'all okay? Because yeah. I'm not finished with verse nine yet. He said, I'm gonna move quick, ready? Listen quick. He said, our, our Father who art in heaven. Interpretation, ready? He's not your father here on earth. The book of Daniel, the fourth chapter, 26 verse, it says that heaven rules above earth. Your father was on a whole nother plane. On this planet, we are bound to the limitations of this planet. We're driven by our five senses. There's the, the limitations of time and space and the the, uh, the principles of, of physics and aerodynamics. There's all these limitations. Guess what? Listen to me. Your father, he ain't limited to this earth. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Your God is above it all. He's not earthly. He's not limited to this thing. Look at the life of Jesus. I mean, Jesus did things on this planet that didn't match this planet. How many of you know you're not supposed to walk on water? And once you're dead, you're supposed to stay dead. And once somebody else is dead, you're supposed to let them stay dead too, right? The, the, those limitations weren't on Jesus. And some of you may say, well, of course, because Jesus was God, you're missing it. Listen to me, you're missing it. Because Jesus was not here to live as God, Jesus was here to live as a man in perfect connection with his father. And so what we see is in Jesus, a man, a human with a connection to his father in heaven. And because of that, heaven overrides earth. And there were things that the earth's limitations didn't touch Jesus, didn't affect his ministry because he was dialed into something bigger than the earth. His father operated on a whole nother plane and you and I are called to do the same thing. That's why Jesus said the things that I did, you're gonna do and greater than these because I go to my father. Are you saying, Jody, I need to just go pray that I would walk on water? 
Peter did it. I don't know. I mean, that was what he wanted to do. You ever think about that? Like he was like, Jesus, that's cool. I want to do that. Isn't that what happened? Don't over-spiritualize it. All right? And we need to have this understanding that we serve a God above this all. Whatever, whatever miracle you're believing for, God can do it. Whatever provision you're believing for, God's got it. Whatever protection you're believing for, God's got it. That's, who, that's your dad. And he's got it. So he's our father who art in heaven. And then I love this part. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. You know what the word hallowed in Greek means? It means sacred, set apart, one of a kind. Listen to this in our prayer. Oh, dad. Oh, dad who art in heaven, you are one of a kind. There is no one like you, God. I'm teaching you how to pray. Teaching how, oh God, there's no one like you. There's no name. We, we read it earlier. We sang songs about it. The name of Jesus. Every name has to bow to the name of Jesus because there's nobody like him. There's no name above the name of Jesus. Hallowed be your name. Church, listen. We ought to magnify the Lord in our prayer. Does magnifying the Lord make him bigger or does it make my perspective of him bigger. It changes me. So worship in our prayer, worship, acknowledge who he is. Acknowledge the fact that he is completely other than, he's one of a kind, he's completely unique, he's completely powerful. All the provision I need is in him. He's different, he's above it all. This is why the Bible tells us, you ever, Ever wonder why God wasted one of the 10 commandments? I mean, there's only 10 of them. Why would he would waste one of them on don't take the Lord's name in vain? You ever thought about that? What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? It means to, to use it in a way that is not identifying him as separate and unique and one of a kind. Some of the ways people do this is we attach God's name to a curse word. Now, I know nobody in this room does that. We attach God's name to a curse word. I would say to you that that's blasphemous because God is not the God of cursing. God's the God of blessing. And we ought to attach his name to blessing, not cursing. And so when we attach his name to things like that, it's using God's name in vain and it's lowering the altogether otherness of who God is when we use his name in vain. Now we all know that's wrong. Some of us do it anyway. I, I thought I'd get some of you. Uh, yeah, oh. <laughs> but you know, here's a more common use. Okay, it's not attaching his name to some kind of curse word, but it's, it's bringing his name down into the ordinary. Something happened, Jesus Christ. What did I just do? Instead of the hallowed, other than unique, sacred name of God, I bring it down into this dirty world. See that? Something happened. My God, what have we done? We're taking his name. Now listen to me, church. I'm not trying to hand out legalism. 
I'm not trying to make out rules for church. I'm just trying to get us to align ourselves in a proper way to make our prayer life affected. We need to know that the name of God is above everything. The name of God is sacred. The name of Jesus breaks chains. The name of Jesus sets people free. The name of Jesus is above every name and every name, everything is gonna bow its its knee to the name of Jesus. Every tongue will confess at one point that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's it's about not bringing him him down. Come on church. We need something from a God who is other than, who is above it all. Our father who is in heaven. If you want an effective prayer life, these are some keys that are going to help you. These are some keys that are going to help you know that prayer is relational communication with God. Set some time aside every day. Consecrate some time for, for prayer before the Lord. Be a part of the body of Christ. Connect with your brothers and sisters so that your prayers will be more effective. Understand, understand that that God is your father and he's not some distant being out there that we're trying to beg things from, but he's our father. And because of what Jesus has done, it's brought closeness to us and we can approach him as a father. Know that everything we need, he has. And he would not be a good father to withhold from us what he has for us. It just wouldn't work. You'd say, then why isn't that active in my life? Well, some of it is because we're not asking. We're not praying. We're not asking. Or it's because we ask, but this is not relational communication. It's just me throwing out a laundry list to God. Like he's my butler. Come on. He's like, you don't work, I don't work for you. All right? Stand up with me.